Good morning, church. Come on. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let's open it up. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably one of the most memorized verses he's speaking into the areas of our life and the areas of, of our struggle. And may God have his way today as we think about this particular baggage that we carry with us in our series of summer baggage. We're going to be looking at the baggage of, of my doubt. Any doubters in the room? We got, we got any doubters? Perpetually struggling with, well, I'm not sure and I don't know. If that's not you, probably somebody close to you is like that, obsessing over every detail, uncertain, unsure. And for some of us, we need help in this area of baggage, our doubt. At first, does, does doubt seem like a big deal? Like murder? That, that's a big deal, right? Uh, adultery, big deal. Having a little doubt here and there, like what's the big stinking deal, right? Well, the issue is doubt doesn't stay as doubt. It, it grows and it multiplies. It becomes a, a cancer within us and it, and it destroys us. And so if we don't deal with our doubts God's way, we're going to have some, some trouble. So we're going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. If you have a copy of God's Word open there, does anybody need a bulletin? Our men will get you a bulletin. Go ahead and shoot up your hand if you don't have a bulletin. All right. They're, they're free. They're still free. All right. For limited time only, zero cost to you. We just like killing trees. So if you want to get your bulletin, have a copy of God's Word open. Oh, we got a few more hands. It, it's coming your way. It's coming your way. And we, we want to talk about this, the baggage problem of, of doubt. And hopefully you can, you can help me out here. I need your involvement. God has a promise. He has promised something that helps us with, with our doubt. And it's this, that God is in control. Can you, can you, can you shout, shout for me that phrase? God is in control. One more time. Come on, help me out. God is in control. He's in control. When we realize that He's in control, it changes, changes everything. And for some of us, we have so many doubts that we, we doubt just how in control is God anyway. How can a good God let that happen and let this happen? And why am I going through this? I, I'm prone to doubt God's control over things. And so today we want to make a, bro, a bold, bold proclamation of I will not doubt. Can you, can you commit that for the rest of the week? All right, start with one week. And every time a doubt comes up, you're like, I will not go there. I'm not going to do it. I will not doubt. I believe God's in control. I believe it. I believe it wholeheartedly. My God is in control. Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is going to help us get the ball down the field in regards to our personal struggle, the baggage that we carry, these things that weigh us down, in particular, doubt this morning. We're going to learn some things about God's control over all things. Here we go. Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. Point number one is the first part of Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not trust in the Lord a little bit. Not trust in the Lord when your feelings catch up and you're feeling okay about everything. But wholehearted trust when? Uh, even when it's hard. Even when I can't see it. Even when I am struggling. Even when I'm going down, it's getting darker and darker and darker. I choose to, I choose to trust. 
Has anybody ever been in a, in a cave where with every step you feel like I'm going deeper into the abyss? It doesn't just get a little bit darker. It gets to a place where your hand is right in front of your face, and guess what you can see? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, we, we had multiple uh, caves, different places that we've lived. We've been able to take trains through caves. We've been able to crawl through caves. Get this. There was one cave in Idaho, just a few miles uh, north of the border, Utah-Idaho border, uh, where Napoleon Dynamite was filmed. Uh, you, you take take about five miles, take a left, and you end up in a field, like nothing. You got mountains on both sides, and there is a flat field, and they said there's a cave here. I'm like, where's this cave? There's little signs, arrows. You walk out in middle of a field. I'm sure they're not growing anything because it's all rock, and you stumble upon a hole, and they got a little placard thing, and it says, like, have fun. Here's the history of this cave, a volcano, apparently, blew out, shot underground, exploded, and created this hole and this huge, this huge cave. And as a family, we were like, okay, we're going in. And it wasn't too long before, with our little ones scared out of their minds, they're like, is it, is, are we having fun yet? Is this fun? We're in the middle of nowhere, under a field, in a cave, and we can't see anything right at that moment you have a you have a choice to make right either you you trust dad who thinks he knows where he's he's going or you panic but the deeper and darker you go the harder it is to stay calm the harder it is to trust we're even going to get out of this thing i don't know where you're at this morning but thinking I don't know if God really has this. I don't know if he knows what he's doing, if we were really honest. Because there's, there's no way out of this, and it's not getting better, and there's, there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. But do you know what the good news is today? As we continue in Proverbs 3, we're going to see we can trust in this God with all of our heart, not because he brings a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but do you know what's better than that? He's the light that is with us, completely in control every step of the way, even when we don't know where we're going or if we're ever going to get out of this thing. We're trusting with our, our whole heart, our whole heart. Doubt is devastating to your soul, bottom line. It is detrimental because it starts as something so small and insignificant, and it grows, and it grows. Doubt is it's devastating. And when I doubt what God has said, it destroys me. And for some of us, we can testify to that. When I believe, when I have full confidence in God, I'm different. My attitude is different. My focus is different. My expectation is different. But when doubt doesn't just visit, but when it stays and it, it makes its home, right, it moves in, it destroys me, it destroys me. Has it been your experience of doubt growing and growing. But, everybody say but. Here we go. But when I believe what God has said, it's so life-giving for me. It's so life-giving for me. When I believe what God has said, it's so life-giving for me. So what, what are some consequences of doubt? Can we just, just in way of introduction, let, let's go ahead and fire through a few. What's the big deal if I struggle a little bit with doubting, questioning, 
uncertainty, I'm not sure. Well, here we go. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, doubt is the soil that fear grows in. Doubt is the soil that fear grows in. Last week, we talked about fear and the baggage of our fear and our anxiety and our worry. Where did all of that start? It started where? It started with a little bit of a little bit of doubt. It starts with a little bit of doubt, a little bit of questioning. It doesn't stop there. It builds momentum. It's a, it's a snowball effect. And this is the soil where fear grows. This is a problem. How about this? Number two, doubt is the cause of our emotional roller coaster. Uh, we, we finished James. Everybody remember, if you've been around for a little while, we finished the whole book of James. And James 1 it was just so powerful when we kicked off the series. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith. Ask him in faith with no doubting. No what? No doubting. No doubting. No doubting. Why? What, what's, a, what's the big deal if I, I'm trying to ask in faith and, and there's a little bit of doubt? Well, he says, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, blown around everywhere. The question is, is that you? Where every time there's a situation and every time you're tested and every time there's bad news that, that comes knocking on your door, that all of a sudden your life is a roller coaster of emotions and high highs and low lows. And, and here, here's the deal. For many of us, we think it's a way of life. We think that we, we just have to give in to that. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus didn't come live a perfect life for you, lay down his life as a sacrifice for you, and rise again from the dead so you could live your whole life riding on your emotions a wild roller coaster that feels out of control. Do you, do you think he has something better? I, I hope you're convinced. God has something better for me than riding the roller coaster of whatever I feel at any given time. There's something better because there's a way out when it comes to doubt. There is weapons that we wield. There's consequences if we continue to give in. Here we go. Number three, doubt is the direct result of taking our eyes off the Lord. Eyes off the Lord. Matthew 14. Anybody remember Peter? Peter, Peter in the boat and all of a sudden Jesus is there and he, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, would you command me to come to you on the water? And he, he said, come, come. Would that have been you? Like, I, if you're standing on the water and I'm with you, I could do the same thing. Like, tell, tell me to come out. Peter starts with confidence. Is, is there any doubting going on here? Not, not yet, not yet. In fact, quite the opposite. I don't know, so, some of us are, we're starters that are very bold and we're easily quitters when it comes to the first sight of any trouble. We give up, we walk away. In this case, Peter starts drowning. What happens? Peter gets out of the boat, he walks on the water and he came to Jesus. But, but, everybody say but. Here we go. Well, what happened? What happened next? When he saw the, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He's looking at the waves. He's fearful. Doubt turns into panic. Beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him and said, oh, you of little faith, why? Why did you doubt? And maybe that's a story of your life. Of, no, I'm, I'm really confident. I, I know for sure. I, I, this is the right decision. We're moving forward. This is the right thing. I know that I prayed about it. I know that God wants me to do this. This is even for him. And the moment that we take our first steps, do you think there's adversity? Do you think there's going to be problems? Do you think that there's going to be opposition? Do you think that things are going to go smoothly? Setting our eyes on the problem 
taking our eyes off of the king sinking, sinking. And I, I, maybe you walked in this morning, you're like, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm drowning. I'm sinking. I thought I was starting well. I thought I meant well. My heart was right in line with God's. So why is this happening? Why is this happening? I thought if I stepped out by faith that like, God's going to, he's going to make a way. Well, he will make a way when our eyes are, are, are on him, not the, not the problem. Can, can I speak to the cynics in the house? Is everybody okay with that? There's, there's something about our attitude. Growing up, we either observed it in our family. It's deep-rooted because of the people that we hang with. There's something about pessimistic negativity, about looking at the glass half empty and the problems and all the, all the things that are going to trip us up and why the plan's going to fail and why it's not going to work out. Have we ever called it doubt before? And have we seen it as a pattern of sin? Because where there are patterns of there's the problem, 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 there's no faith. So I don't know what God wants to do in you this morning, but do you believe that God can, can turn our entire attitude around, our entire mindset around of, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. I don't care what comes my way. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care if, if there is a little bit of doubt rising up. I know what to do with it because I'm not going to create a fertilized, nice little garden bed for fear to thrive and grow in. Instead, I am going to put to death the doubt that so easily overtakes my mind, overtakes my heart. Anybody got any baggage this morning? If we're going to be honest, doubt, 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 because we take our eyes off of the Lord. So are you a wave watcher or are you a promise believer? Are you obsessed with all the details of the ways that it's not going to work and why I'm going to fail and it's going to fail? Or are we going to be looking to Jesus, the one that is bigger than all of this, because he is calling us to come. Come. Do the impossible. Come. Come to me and see the miracles happen. Number, number two, if you're taking notes, not just that we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and that where there is doubt, there are consequences that we do not want to live in anymore. We want to be free. We want to be free. Turn to your neighbor and say, you want to be free. Let them know. Let them know. They want to be free, all right? Every single person around you wants to be free, free to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. How about this? As verse five continues, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. What seems right in your eyes, what if each one of us could commit to really believing that maybe the things that we have been taught in the way that we have watched others live, what if everything that we have learned is wrong? What if what is right in the world and what is common sense and basic understanding, what if so much of what we've been taught is backwards and upside down to God's kingdom? Why are we called to not lean on our own understanding? because our own understanding is accurate and helpful? Is that why we're, we're called to get away from it, not even lean on it? So much of the way that we naturally think, the ways that we have been taught, many of the people we've looked up to, the things that we have gravitated towards have been, seems right to me. This seems good. What could possibly go wrong? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Do you know what wisdom teaches us? This is awesome. I get to start asking different questions. What's right with this? 
What is, what is good about this in God's eyes? I want what is right, not in my own eyes, but in God's eyes. And he's saying, don't lean on it. You're, you're going to lean on your own understanding. It's going to lead to another dead end. You're going to keep repeating the same things over and over again. Definition of insanity, help me out. We, and we do. And we do. And we do, right? It's going to be different this time. My marriage, it's going to be different this time. This, this new parenting style is going to be different. I, I read a book and I was taught, and if I, if I just get in the right workplace and I get on the right track, and maybe if we just move to a different city, and it's going to be different this time. No, because everywhere you go, you're always there. And when the problem is your own understanding, you take the garbage with you. Your baggage is moving with you until. Everybody say until. Until something changes. Or I say, I can't lean on my own understanding. I, I can't trust the way that seems right to me anymore. I'm done with the old way. God, what do you have to say about it? What do you think about this topic? One of the most helpful things that can radically change your life. Here, here we go. This is free. It's free. All right? All right? No tips necessary. My first year as a Christian made a mess of my life. Same old stuff. Same old stuff. Same old ways. And thinking, well, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Well, God doesn't bless disobedience. He spanks. He chastises. And, and I asked one of the first guys that entered into my life a year after I became a believer, and I'm like, why is all this happening to me? I'm like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to move forward. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get away from the old stuff. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. What, what are your thoughts about the topic of relationships and sex? What, are, what have you been taught in regards to your future and where you should work and what you should be doing? What, what are your own opinions and thoughts about how you use money and how you use your, your time? and what your work ethic is at, at work. And he started asking me questions. Well, what are your thoughts? Just, just throw out, like, well, what's your attitude towards this? And, and what did your parents teach you? And growing up, what, what did you see as normal in your household? And I started walking through, well, well everybody knows that, that this is what you do, and, and this is how you're to think about it. And he said this, John, for the rest of your life, ask this question. What does God's word say about that topic? and then study it like your life depends on it, because it does. And from that point forward, I just started immediately. I was introduced to Google for Jesus, not Google for porn, and it just it changed my life. It changed my life, right? Old ways, gone. New ways. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about sex before marriage? What does the Bible say uh, about work? What does the Bible say about money? And all of a sudden, every question that popped into my head, I paused and I said, don't Lean on your own understanding, the old way, your natural way of thinking. Don't trust it. Start doubting the things that you're so confident about and start killing doubt in God and his promises and his word and start finding out what God really said. Do you know what happened? It didn't take long before I realized I've been lied to my whole life. Has anybody told me the truth? Has, has anybody lived a godly life before me, even those that claim to be religious, those that went to church? I grew up with a, a grandmother that would walk into every room during family gatherings and just like scream at everybody and accuse everybody of doing everything wrong. No more fun, no more happiness. And then what she, she would do is she would walk into the living room in front of everybody and sit down in her rocker and open her Bible and just read scripture over and over again. And then every time... 
She got up. She would just walk around and scream and yell and bitter and angry. And then as we were leaving, she would sit back down and just reading, reading the Bible. And I'm like, I don't know what that woman was doing sitting in that chair reading it, but it didn't go from her leaning on her own understanding to leaning on God's wisdom and living it and doing it. Something broke down in between. I don't know if you have watched people that are religious and they tell you, well, this is the way to live it. You know what we need? We need to be a church where we're able to look at each other and we're able to say, that's what it looks like to not lean on your own understanding. That's what it looks like to live out God's wisdom. That's what it looks like in action, not word, but to live it wholeheartedly. Don't lean on your own understanding, but instead what? Here we go, number three, in all your ways. In all your ways. How many ways? Uh, so I did a deep dive in the Greek, and all means all, and all is all will ever mean. The end, okay? So like, there wasn't a lot of confusion about how to parse the verb and how to understand the, the deeper meaning of all. Just means all. All, all every, every single, even that, yes, that. Well, what about yes, that, that too? There's no areas of our life that we don't do what? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. See that he's active. See that he's near. See that he's in control in everything. How many things? All, all, all things, every single thing. God, I see you even in this. I don't know if you get to spend time with people that have either chronic illness, people that have a, a very short time to live, and they love Jesus. Because to be able to sit next to people that are suffering every day, all day, or they know the end is near, do you know what they can offer? They can offer a perspective that is so different. Because even in the worst case scenarios, do you know what they do? They acknowledge God in all, all. And every time I have been blessed to be able to sit down with somebody that is suffering horrifically and that they're not just in the word, they're living it out, the conversations that come from that, I, I know I'm suffering now, but, but this is how God is speaking. This is what God is saying. This is the perspective I have. I know I should be grumbling and complaining. I know that I should be walking away from the Lord and doubting and doubting and doubting. But when Proverbs 3 is lived out, it's powerful. It's powerful to watch someone actually in all their ways acknowledge him. So what, what kind of topics in your life bring up great doubt? Can we, can we get really practical here? I think for most of us, one of the universal issues is as we think about finances we think about finances like are we thinking god's way about our money well it's a problem and, and i have great doubts about the future and i'm not sure how it's going to work out and and short term and long term and i don't know and i'm up at night doubting and thinking and then fear and anxiety and worry is rising up and growing from the soil of that doubt and i just thought to myself how much doubt can gas prices provoke an individual. And I, and I think we found out recently a lot of doubt can be created, right, nationwide, globally, by one small, one small area. And, and I was just, I was writing some things down. I just put, whether it's gas prices or unexpected financial emergency or crisis, there is a way to look 
at all of these things that is so different than leaning on your own understanding. It's acknowledging God. It's seeing him in all things. It's, it's acknowledging in a way that is intimate and close and seeing, God, you're here, and you have words to say. Uh, Sarah and I got news uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I don't know how much we, we watch a lot of weather locally because we are praying, and apparently as a church we've been praying pretty, pretty good. Uh, we got, got, some, got, got some rain, right? Um, and we are so, so grateful for that. Well, uh, Sarah and I own a house uh, outside of St. Louis, and uh, sometimes uh, there are areas of, of the U.S. that praying for the rain to stop because there was one little section in all of the Midwest, it was like a little strip that, that got like three feet in a couple days, and we happened to live on a little river bank in our backyard, okay? So, so that little strip, it's like, Oh, man, that looks horrible. Wait a minute. Our house is right there. Well, we, we got the news that everything that we had left uh, at, at our house in our basement, it was under two feet of water. So, like, everything we, we own that we didn't bring is, is destroyed, right? So we got pictures of water rising up our basement. Stairs, we have to replace a uh, HVAC unit, washer, dryer, water heater, everything's destroyed and two feet of sheetrock all the way around and treating black mold uh, for, for the next weeks. And it was just, it was so awesome because, because of this, just being able to be in the word and asking God questions of how do I respond? How do I view stuff? How do I view my things? How do I view a $10,000 bill that I wasn't expecting? How do I view the car breaking down and having to like refinance and not having no idea and thinking about the future of job and, and, and job security? I don't know what crisis you've been through. I don't know how you responded. I don't know if you're in a crisis today, but here's the guaranteed thing. If you're not in it right now, you're about to go in it. So the question is, how are you gonna respond when it comes? And God led me to Proverbs 11, 24. How, how do I think about my stuff? Not to hoard, not, not to think about protecting myself and looking out and I need to make sure, and we need to be responsible financially, correct? Correct? Like responsibility, biblical responsibility. We're stewards. Proverbs 11, 24. One gives freely, generously, sacrificially, and yet grows all the richer. And another withholds or hoards and keeps back what he should give, and all he experiences, he only suffers want. And I wrote down, 90% with God is more than 100% with me. As I think about even among church family, we say like, I give to the Lord first. Well, what if, what if, and I don't know, and I have doubts about whether uh, we can even give 1%, or we can give 5%, and, and trust me, those of us who have tested God in this area of giving and not waiting for the crisis and hoarding, watching what God does, it's amazing. It's amazing. We could spend the rest of the day sharing stories of you would not believe. You would not believe. The more that I give, the more that God is bringing my way. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the, the full tithe into the storehouse. Why, why would we do that? That there may be food in my house, God says, and he says this, I just love it. Put me to the test, says the Lord. Put me to the test. Test me in this area, 
the Lord of hosts says, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour down a blessing until there is no more need. So do you believe in your time of greatest crisis that you can trust, God, I'm going to keep on giving and being generous and sacrificing and you're going to take care of me. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm not going to give room for doubt to grow oak trees of fear and anxiety and worry. I'm going to kill it. The weeds need to die at the starting point of doubt before it turns into full-blown panic attack lifestyle. But only with God is that possible. Only with God. Here we go. Number four, as we think about if you do your part, God will do his part. And we believe that. We look at verse six. God, what will God do? God will make straight your paths. He's going to make it straight. If what? If what? If I trust in him with my whole heart, if I don't lean on my, my own understanding, if I acknowledge him in all of my ways, God has promised this. It's a conditional promise. He says, if you do this, if you do your part, God will do his part. God will make straight your paths. He's going to make a path forward that is straight. Do you believe that God can, can pave the way for you? Do, do you believe it? I mean, even, even in the room this morning, thinking about as a church, many of us are, are struggling in different seasons of, do I believe that God can make a path straight when it's been so crooked and, and I've taken so many turns and twists and it's not getting better and every time I get my hopes up, Everything just keeps crashing down. Do we believe that if we do our part, that God will always, 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 everybody say always, he will always do his part. He says he's going to pave the way. Unfortunately, our way of interpreting God's paving ways is, well, he's going to make my life comfortable and smooth. I'm not going to have any more problems if I just trust in the Lord. When God paves a way, he may pave a way straight up pike's peak and then back down again but there is a clear pathway it may be through a dark woods that i'm not familiar with but the path it's clear and it's straight you know the way to go if you know god's word and you know his promises god's promise here here it is he promises the safest fastest smoothest road to the best possible destination But what if the safest, fastest, smoothest road to the best destination means I have to go through dark, dark valleys and I I have to suffer and I have to go through trials and it's going to hurt and I'm going to have to give things up and I'm going to have to be willing to surrender and sacrifice. God's saying the path is clear. But to choose that path means I'm saying no to all other pathways and i'm saying yes to his alone everybody tracking with me to say yes to his way means i have to say no to all the detours all the other ways that seem very appealing even exciting maybe a little safer in my eyes maybe more efficient and comfortable from my perspective but the reality is he's got a way and it's safe and it's fast and it's smooth even though it feels like it's taking so long i don't know if you're in a season right now when 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 god come on already this is the fastest way because do you know what the slow way is my quick and easy 
that was supposed to be a few months or a few years, do you know what it turns into? Decades of consequences. Do you know that in the wilderness, God's people taking that, that little trek, I don't know if you're, you remember, once they're through the walking on dry land across the, the Red Sea, we, you know what happens? You know what happens? They kind of know in their mind, this is supposed to be like a 40-day kind of trek across the, the desert. This is supposed to be maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months at the most. How long did that thing end up taking? Somebody help me out. How do you go from 40 days to 40 years? You take your way. That seems safe. That seems fast. That seems more comfortable. How's that going for you? How's that going around and around and around and around? Do you, do you know what's crazy? Every time that God has brought me to a place where I felt like I was losing because I had to give up and I had to surrender, God sped up the timeline and things actually ended up happening once I got out of the way. Once I stopped manipulating and rushing and pursuing my thing, his way is, is awesome. It's best. It's the best. Everybody say it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. So here we go. Here, here's a little theology lesson. Everybody, everybody ready? When we say that God is in control, we have a big fancy word for it. It's called sovereignty. Okay? Can everybody handle that? Everybody say, I can handle it. God, okay, apparently we can't handle it. All right. So hopefully soon, hopefully someday soon, we can handle this. Sovereignty. Sovereign. That means reigning over all perfectly, completely. He has complete rule and reign. He is sovereign. He's a sovereign one. If you read anywhere in the Old Testament, at some point, after a couple pages, you are going to read this. The sovereign one of Israel. The sovereign one of Israel. The one that is in control over everything, even when nothing makes sense. Even when everything's going wrong, there is a God that is in complete control over all because He is the sovereign one. It's His sovereignty. God is in control. Sovereignty. So, does God ever overpromise and underdeliver? Does he ever do that? I know somebody who does. His name is Satan that says, I promise you can have it, and he can't deliver on any of his promises. I love the fact that we get to slow down and walk through this series of God promises so many things to us and one of the things is he promises he's in control he's sovereign well why doesn't it look like it? because your ways are not his ways you don't see what he sees and we know he has promised this act 17 i love it act 17 if you want to jot down the the address act 17 24 through 31 the god who made the world and everything in it but he did what the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord, the King of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in temples made by man. Everybody say, no. No, He doesn't. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Who gives you life? Who gives you breath? Who gives you everything? The Lord of heaven and earth. It's not from you. It's from Him. Verse 26, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of time, the boundaries 
uh, of where nations and peoples would have their dwelling place, that they should seek God. What is God's will? That every nation, every people around the globe would seek Him, would seek after Him. And perhaps, and this is what he says, and perhaps they would feel their way toward Him and just just groping in the dark. God, if you're there, God, if you're there, if you're out there, he's saying, people all over the earth, seek. Even if you don't have all the answers and, and no one has told you, move towards him. And he says, and find him. Have you found him? I don't know if you've, I'm not assuming that just because we're in church this morning that, that you have found the Lord, that, that he's saying, come, seek after me, look to me. You, you're going to find me. Yet, he's actually not far from each one of us. He's close. He's close. Turn to your neighbor and say he's close. He's close. For in him, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. It's not It's not like that. The times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, what is God doing right now? He's commanding all people everywhere to repent. Do you believe that? That that all people seeking their own way, leaning on their own understanding, filled with doubt, searching for answers, need to turn away from all of the lies, all of the half-truths, all of the false counterfeit answers and repent, turn around, turn to him to repent. He's calling everybody everywhere, turn, 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 because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Are you telling me that there is a guy that was raised from the dead? Can somebody help me out? Can somebody help me? Jesus, the man that was appointed for a very specific time that was raised from the dead, what happened at at the resurrection, was that the whole world knew whatever God says happens because he does the impossible. He raises dead people. If he can do that, he can do anything. His promises can be trusted. And today, for you, I don't know what crisis, I don't know what point of doubt and struggle you're going through. I don't know if you're, you're at a place of which way do I go? What, what path do I take? And I'm not sure, filled with doubt, that you would come to Jesus and you would have confidence if Jesus raises from the dead, if he, if he rose again, and we celebrate Easter, but we celebrate every week, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, right? Every Sunday is celebration that Jesus is alive. If he's alive, all of his word is true. All of his promises are true. We can trust, not, not doubt any longer. We can have confidence even when everybody around us is filled with anxiety and fear and, and doubting everything and questioning everything and nobody can know for certain, certain that there's a God. No, nobody can know for sure. And you can say, yes, I do. I'm done with doubt. I'm believing. I have confidence. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to follow my God because he is the sovereign one. He is the sovereign one. And so as we conclude, let's do this. I, I just want us to walk through God's sovereignty. Just a few points. God is sovereign over even rebellion. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That God's bigger than any prodigal child? That he's bigger than anyone that has been part of the church and said yes to Jesus and has walked away? That he's bigger than that? That he's actually in control of all of those things? Uh, Jonah. Anybody remember us going through Jonah earlier this year? So we, we have 
God appointing sovereignly a storm to get Jonah's attention. We have him sovereignly sending a giant fish. You call him a whale. Whatever you call this thing, God sent him, appointed him at the right time because God's in control. God's in control. Right when Jonah was ready to give up and quit, all of a sudden this huge plant grows up to give him shade so he doesn't fry like bacon in the sun. And God appointed that at the right time. God is sovereign. God's sovereign over sin. Do you believe it? Do you know a guy named Joseph? A little bit of background that that Joseph, I don't know if, if you had some, some rough characters in your household, if you think your siblings were bad. Did, did they ever do uh, something on you called like, let's play attempted murder and cover up? Did, did you ever play that game with your siblings at home? So, I mean, think about Joseph had it bad. Even over sin, God was sovereign. He was in control that even though Joseph was lied about and that he was shipped off into slavery and that he was unjustly behind bars and that even when he was supposed to be released because he was able to answer and give uh, the code for the dreams that he was forgotten again and abandoned and the sin of so many people in Joseph's life. I wish it stopped there, but we have Potiphar's wife because Joseph, he was a sexy, sexy man. And Potiphar's wife, the, the king of Egypt, his wife, right? Chasing after, ripping his clothes off, trying to get after him. It's like, how much sin does one person have to deal with when they're trying to do the right thing? Do you believe that God is sovereign even over all the temptation and all the sin that is swirling around you, wooing you, bringing you in to be bitter and angry and to reject God? Do you believe that he's in control of those circumstances? You better believe it. And Joseph, Joseph knew it. How about this? Esther, how awesome, how awesome that God is sovereign over even world events. Sovereign over world events. We, we have Haman who is going to destroy the entire Jewish nation, commit genocide, and Esther coming into a place where she would have influence. But what did she have to do? As a woman, she had to step up, be bold, speak out. Nobody else would do it. And she took a stand and she was strategically placed to rescue God's people, Esther 4, 13 and 14. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that the king's palace, you'll escape any more than all the other Jews. You're dead. Everybody's dead. This is over. Everybody say doubt. Doubt, big time. Huh. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But, everybody say but. But here's what he said. You and your father's house, it's over. You're going to perish. You're going to perish. You, you think that you have hope. There's no hope, no hope, no hope. Doubt. But then he said this, but who knows whether you, Esther, have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Everything is hopeless. Everybody's filled with doubt. It's done for. But then God sends sovereignly a woman to change history, strategically placed. Do you believe that even in the midst of all of your doubt and everybody surrounded feeling totally helpless and despair and there's darkness in the future, anxiety everywhere, do you believe that you can follow a God that leads you into the mess and that you are placed there at such a time as this, a generation as this, that you have the ability to combat this doubt? As the worship team comes up and we get ready to land the plane, everybody say land the plane. Here we go. Hebrews 6. Let's leave off with this. I love Hebrews 6. I just want us to, to think about it's impossible for God to lie. 
It's impossible for God to lie. Well, I doubt if I can believe the Bible and I doubt if I can really trust God. Trust the only one in the universe that cannot lie. And he only always tells the truth. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Do you need strong encouragement? I do. I do every day. I need strong encouragement to hold tight, to hold fast, to to stand firm to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Anybody need an anchor for your soul? There's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, and he's referring that Jesus has come. He is the only hope. And God is able to do the impossible. I don't know if today you're filled with a whole lot of doubt about a whole lot of things. But if you're, if you're not filled with doubt today, tomorrow's trials are coming. Things that you never anticipated, they're, they're going to be knocking on your door this week. Where do you run? Where are you going to go to? The call for all of us. Find hope in the only one that is trustworthy. The only one that has full control because he's, he's sovereign. And he's saying, come. Just like he did with Peter. He's saying, step out. You're scared out of your gourd. You think you're going down. Eyes on me, Jesus says. Eyes on me. We're going to walk through doubt together. God promises that he is in control and he is with you every step of the way.